Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode number 56 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius, Dean Ayers. Thank you so much for taking the time and the trouble to download us wherever you get your podcasts from. We do appreciate each and every one of you who listens to us. I am joined, as ever, by my esteemed co-host, the Yahoo Sports Journalist, Liam Happ. Good evening to you, sir. Ah, good evening to you. I am in a very good mood. Things are going great. I have got my hair cut. I have got ample supply of toilet paper. I've got plenty mm-hmm. of pouches of Uncle Ben's in my cupboard. And today, Dino, today, yeah. I managed to acquire one packet of plain flour. Have some of that. Wow. Does life get any better than that? I am living the dream. I, I will raise, I'll raise your packet of plain flour with a packet of gluten-free plain flour. I mean, we're talking specialist stuff here as uh, my Taz-inspired uh, dishwasher just beeps to tell me it's finished. Um, that, you know, that, that is specialist shit right there. I think your dishwasher is made by the same people as my washing machine, because that too makes that exact style beep. Um, hang on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and wander over. This is terribly exciting, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's, it's hot point. Other dishwashers are available. Um, so I don't know if uh, your washing machine is made by the same people. I'm not sure if they're the ones that tend to blow up and catch fire or not, but I guess we'll find out if yeah. it blows up and catches fire one M- day. Mine hasn't yet, so happy days. Yeah. I'm putting that in yeah. the wing column as well. Yeah. I mean, I um, I haven't had a haircut. I am, I basically feel that I'm entering the John Cena stage now, where my hair is getting longer. It's it's looking a bit weird, but at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, I might just keep it like this. Yeah. Dinaya so, sucks. sucks. You, you won't be the first person who's, uh, <laughs> who's throwing it throwing that at me and surely you won't be the last but um so apart apart from apart from obviously watching some old wcw well what what sort of things have you been uh, watching to keep yourself amused during this lockdown ah good question i think i touched upon my my main time killing hobby at the moment i've got a couple of mobile games and i've also been enjoying mlb the show 20 which is which is a good grinding game so i do a lot of that but i've been keeping a few tv shows on the go i finally got around to starting glow which was one of them shows you ever have those shows on, oh, yeah. on the stream service you're like i am going to watch you i know i'm going to watch you it's inevitable that you will one day be watched by me but i just can't be bothered starting you today and that goes on for like 18 months and then you fi- and then it finally happens it's finally happened for me uh i'm early into season two i'm very much enjoying it and it's uh, i think it's pretty well done there's a lot of things i have to try and capture the essence of not just the whole wrestling thing which has always been a, a finicky subject how wrestling is portrayed in television shows and movies hasn't it 
but they've also done a good job of capturing like the eighties nostalgia, the the the, yeah. the the cheesy music and graphics and all the like things like the the drug use by the characters and that very eighties. <laughs> so I've been enjoying it so far. It's been pretty well done. I've also been watching with my wife when it's with two of us. Uh, we find another finally one. We've been watching The Good Place. And we're very close to the end of that. We're coming up to the last season at four. And that's been, I think it's really funny, brilliantly written. And they got out as soon as their story was told, a la uh, the UK office, 40 Towers, things like that. So hat tip for that. Oh, fair enough. The Good Place. I'm, I'll have to check that one out then. Yeah, um, I I finally succumbed to peer pressure. Uh, and everyone talking about it on my uh, Facebook feed a few weeks ago. And uh, over the past week or so, um, we, we were watching like one episode a day whilst we were having our dinner. Um, and uh, we, we sat down as a family and watched the wholesome series Tiger King. Oh, Jesus fuck. fucking Christ. That was insane. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, coming at, I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who's been around the wrestling business for an awfully long time. And yet I still thought that that was fucking insane. Every episode just got crazier and weirder. I'm not going to spoil it in case you haven't watched it, but it is basically the gift that keeps on giving. Um, and and I, I think that, uh, you know, if Ted Turner had blamed Cal fucking Baskin for something, then, then you know, maybe WCW would still be alive today. Maybe, but I'd, I'd like to... Um point out that this could be the perfect time for a future pay-per-view review we should maybe cover a, a Vince Russo special because I can't think of any other time where in comparison a Russo show would would seem normal other than if you've just watched some Tiger King so this could be the time to do it <laughs> to just put put Russo's writing in perspective and make it seem a little more down to earth that that sounds like uh, sounds like a good plan, solid plan, definitely. We'll uh, yeah, we'll, we'll when when we finish this uh, this uh, watch long, we'll, we'll have to uh, put some wheels in motion for that. I think. Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one, and you're listening to because WCW. Now choke on that. Yeah. So um yeah, we are doing a watch along today episode 50 56 of because wcw yeah it is the 23rd monday nitro which was broadcast originally on february the 5th 1996 so if you remember the previous week we'd seen a very odd debut match with or re-debut of the road warriors against the faces of fear um we'd had a a 28 second world title match that ended in the dq i believe um it was a bit of an old episode, wasn't it? Yeah, and we're also starting to drop off in terms of enjoyability. We won't go full strict uh, wrestling observer snowflakes or, or or talk massively about work or anything like that. But Dean and I have been trying to pass fail these so far on a on just was it worth us digging it back up on the network and spending an hour or so, or maybe less than an hour watching this episode. And the majority of them, Dean, you'll recall got passes from us. I believe Absolutely, there's yeah. only been three fouls so far, but two yeah. of those have actually come recently. And <laughs> yes. knowing, cause we've got a stronger memory of the pay-per-view timeline than every 
instance and every happening on all these weekly nitros we do know that the you know the timeline around uncensored 96 is fast approaching super bowl's the next pay-per-view uh hulk hogan and the giant in the cage was a bit groan inducing anyway uncensored got even worse so we're coming to a point in the timeline where it wouldn't surprise us if certain episodes of Nitro, maybe all of them, are a lot harder to watch than that nice, bright and breezy start we had in 95. Because even when yes. Hogan was on, on screen, we were, we were mostly enjoying those, weren't we? We were enjoying Hulk Hogan's midlife crisis, absolutely. But bear in mind, this is also, it's, it's interesting just to sort of kind of step back and take a look at the, the, the bigger picture across the wrestling landscape. Because... Whereas, you know, WCW Nitro, it was the, the new kid in, on the block and it, it had that momentum of being fresh and new, a bit a bit like AEW is at this moment in time, I guess. Um, it's now got to the point where, where the WWF, as they were then, are really cranking the pressure up and portraying themselves, believe it or not, as the, uh, as the harassed, bullied victim. Um, and that uh, and all this is... is best documented in Guy Evans' fantastic book Nitro as well. But they are portraying themselves as being on the receiving end of bullying tactics from the much bigger Turner in Turner Broadcasting um, and that they're losing they're losing TV stations, they're losing revenue, they're losing ratings. We've got the whole billionaire Ted and the Huckster and Macho Man skits going on, taking the the piss out of the the older um, headliners that are in WCW, and um, and we've also had um, Vince McMahon trying to this this week of this episode trying to purchase uh, advertising space in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Um, saying about how Ted Turner has allegedly lost millions of dollars of shareholders' money in his uh, personal vendetta against the World Wrestling Federation, harking back to the money losses that WCW had been making in the past. But obviously that was about to be turned around by Eric Bischoff reasonably soon. Yeah. Who would have thought that such a narcissist would act in such a manner, eh? As in the man. (laughs) Indeed. And this is a very strange episode of Nitro as well from just uh, reading up and remembering what happened. So um, I guess we're ready to press play, really. So, yeah, if you are um, if you are going to be watching along with us, then um, we are we are paused on zero, 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 zero. Um, And this is the episode of WCW Monday Nitro that was originally broadcast on February the 5th. 1996 and we have um, a main event advertised of the Road Warriors against Lex Luger and Sting and I'm sure you're looking forward to that because Luger and Sting are your favourite bit of WCW right now. They are um, the the match itself not so much. I'd be, I'd be shocked <laughs> if it ended up as a barn burner. Uh, you'll remember the Road Warriors return match last week was, was a bit of a chore so i don't know if it'll be any better but yeah luger and sting are very entertaining at this juncture and they're a breath of fresh air as far as anyone who can be considered a main eventer would go because everyone else is pretty much doing the old 80s routine but sting and luger is a bit of fun there's a dynamic there's shades of gray and you genuinely at this point you generally don't know where it's gonna go uh and i'm, I'm trying to get ready to 
to get this guy, I think I'm actually going to have to track down the episode myself because it's not auto-playing from the last one. Bloody ah. thing. So give me also, one second. While, I'll be um, there. That's, that's fine. Just while you're doing that, it's worth saying that um, there were three dark matches um, on, on this show before the uh, broadcast went to air and in the most typical WCW thing ever we had of course a WCW world television title match that wasn't on television and just to make it even more typical it was yet another match between Johnny Me Bad and Diamond Dallas Page uh, chapter number 456 of there something, something like that yes uh, we also had Conan beating Devon Storm to retain the US title and the team of Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater beating the Barrio brothers, which was Fidel Sierra and Ricky Santana. Meanwhile, over uh, on the opposition on um, Monday Night Raw, um, it was a taped show from a few weeks ago, um, and we had um, a pretty loaded card there as well. We had um, David Boy Smith and Yoko Zuna against Shawn Michaels and Diesel. The one, two, three kid against Hakushi, and then a WWF title match between The Undertaker and Bret Hart. So, um, pretty loaded on the other side as well. So, uh, be interesting to see what the ratings uh, war was on this one. Yeah. Right. I am all set, by the way, now. Finally. <laughs> okay, doke. Right. So, in that case, we will press play in three, two, one, go. Cue the burning buildings. And I can confirm that they are indeed burning, Dean. We can't ask for more than that, Liam. I'm just checking. Uh, yep, they're also buildings. Yep. Okay, cool. Sorry. Yes, I do. As far as TV wrestling intros goes, this has to be one of my all-time favourites. Simple, over the top, <laughs> and to the point. The most watched wrestling program each and every week. So that tells you what's happening in the ratings right now. So Shiavoni watches off to a great start. It's Bischoff. That was the joke. That's the joke. What gift should I use? You have to explain it. Yeah, what gift should I use to Dean on Twitter? There's some really good, like, the joke and then... Uh, the joke above your head and then you. Uh, I might use the Superman one. I like that one. What's that poor dog been forced to wear this time around? Looks like it's got some sort of hat or wig on. Is that, is that a Native American headdress? Or an Eskimo? Or is it like an, an Amish widow? It's incredible how it could, at this point, it could be any one of those three things. <laughs> that in itself is incredible. <laughs> Yeah, here we go. Oh, my God. What the fuck is that? Looks like a housewife. It's like a blue blue outfit, a white pinny, and pretend ginger hair. It's like a TV character or something. Who cares if it is? Just call the RSPCA already. I mean, it could be worse. He could have dressed it up as a French maid. That would just be disturbing. Yeah, that would be. (laughs) I couldn't help but over here, though. Um... Apparently, we're getting Savage versus Benoit, Flair versus Bagwell. After spending Bagwell, the yeah. last few weeks complaining that they've just been reshuffling the same time matches, what are you getting back potentially to what made Nitro interesting early doors? 
Well, yeah, you were saying we you wanted more uh, Sting Malenko type matches, yeah. and, and you got two of them there. I mean, again, we know what the result is going to be. It's blatantly obvious, but these should be good matches. Yeah, well, when there were those complaints later on in WCW, like 98, 99, about wanting to see new main eventers, it doesn't mean you get rid of all the big-name guys and replace them with mid-carders. You... you mix and match you bring them up that way you you give us f- interesting pairings in 99 we should have had like this man chris benoit against rick flair it looked like they were going towards that feud at one point i'll get into that properly when we do like a a spring 99 pay-per-view because that was around the time uh we should have been getting things like that you know but i mean we looked at sting and vampiro uh on uncensored 2000 didn't we and that was like mm. butchered all to all to hell but Things like that are what we need. What's Savage wearing today? Oh, wow. Monochrome vomit. <laughs> that is monochrome vomit. Or either that, it's an entire compendium of mazes for a 10-year-old kid. <laughs> I think I've completed the first two on his left arm. I'm just trying to work my way through before he starts the match and takes the jacket off. And he's got uh, Nancy Sullivan, as she was there, the future Mrs. Benoit, and uh, Elizabeth, the former Mrs. Savage. She's part of the uh, team opposing Chris Benoit. In retrospect, she really should have stayed in Savage's corner. Do you see a child there taking a photo with a camera that uses film? Do you remember them? Yes. I was just talking about watching Glow. It made it actually made me laugh when they did a photo of all the Glow uh, roster members went to do a photo together, and the the one who took the photo was using a, a, a Polaroid. Ah, oh, Polaroid cameras, the wrestling merchandiser's friend. Shake it like a Polaroid picture, and I, she literally did. It was funny. This venue looks very small. I have to I don't know where they uh, where they're filming it. I'll have to have a look at that, but it doesn't look particularly big, does it? We've made this comparison before, and I suppose it's the right place to be doing TV tapings. But um, it's copper box X, isn't it? Hmm. Just I think the venues we're used to seeing TV tapings, both AEW and WWE, um pre-lockdown obviously <laughs> uh would be yeah were the, the two tier places and this is just the one tier but anyway here we go into the action we've got a very intense uh kind of lock up kind of just rolling around in the ropes jockeying for position but immediately we've got we've got some intensity here yeah do you know what dean what i liked even before that i don't know if you noticed it but when the opening bell sounded, the first thing the two did was exchange taunts. Benoit flashed the four horsemen fingers and Savage responded in kind by by doing four fingers then turned them upside down and like in them. Uh, and the crowd was into it. It got a pop from the crowd just from a little a little banter, a little interaction before the first lockup. You don't see enough of that. No. And I, I'm presuming this is for the world title. I didn't hear whether it was announced as such or not. But assuming it is, then, yeah, this makes perfect sense that Benoit is getting a very rare, probably the first ever shot at the WCW world title he's had. So, of course, he's going to be fired up for this. I I think it's... Benoit was intense anyway. 
on the internet it's listed as a non-title match. And to be honest, I'll put this theory to you, Dean. I would argue that it's probably best to list it as non-title because that always leaves the door open that it might not be a savage win. Whereas Absolutely, if it's a title yeah. match, you know, especially when they've already announced uh, he's fighting Flair in a cage at Super Bowl in a rematch, you know the title's not changing hands. So it could be a bit of suspense mm. here. And all, yeah, and also, I mean, it's it's something that used to be done in 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 the world of sport era wrestling, where um, a wrestler would would face the champion in a non-title match, and the champion, the, the challenger had to beat the champion to earn a title shot, pretty much. Um, so it's a similar mentality here. You know, as you say, if, if if Benoit does win, then that means, you know, he's got a world title shot for for the taking at some point in the near future. Yeah. I'm I'm a fan of, like, Shekhov's gun-esque things where, where you have a, someone getting a win sometimes it's just because uh the guy who's beaten uh, has been screwed over by their immediate next challenger and then when they vanquish that guy who screwed them out of the loss the guy who got the win comes back and says well i have a pin over you i want next so you can you can like do a, do a bit of like short to medium term future yeah um or the 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 other classic is the other way around where someone someone loses a match just before their world title shot and then the person who beat them is is first in line for a title match yeah, because absolutely. They, they own the recent win over them. It's I remember when I was uh booking one PW and one of my plans, obviously none of this happened because the company folded up, but one of the plans was we had um Pac win the open weight belt. We had a, a, a rumble to decide the first champion. And um, Pac won it, so therefore I had him get pinned by Johnny Storm in a, a, a match on the undercard. So therefore the idea was Johnny Storm could say, well, you won the title just by not being thrown over the door, by throwing me over the top rope. I pinned you. That's that's surely more valuable. Give me a title shot. The uh, the old Brett Owen. I like yeah, that. definitely. Because Owen Hart so was instantly there, wasn't he, after the uh, yeah. diving headbutt? You love it. I Good elevation. It. I know you do. And it, it is something that is, well, there's a very bad history behind that move. Does anyone do it these days? Someone does. Or I Daniel think Bryan, obviously. But any, other than that. The majority of people who do do it, I'll harken back quite a long way to one of our earlier episodes when we had the honour of having Mike Quackenbush on the show. And we had a great discussion, the three of us, about, I think there was... Um, Meng and the Barbarian in the match, and they both threw maybe stereo diving headbutts, but they would land, they'd miss, and they'd land um, on their hands and knees to protect themselves. Whereas you have the Benoits and the Harley races who would just maim themselves. And Dynamite Kid. Yes, absolutely. Benoit has had a lot of the offense here. Is this following the classic Randy Savage formula? I do think it is. It is a little bit, but it's been it's been a bit more interesting because they've been working the crowd. Little things like the intense lockup. Sa- Savage has been putting in a little more hustle than he would in your typical reverse squash. Mm. Speedy got off those ropes as well. It's tremendous. 
and that works really well just with the style of offense there of Benoit as well, just whipping him off the ropes and bouncing him back down again. Yeah, this this is a brilliant matchup for him, one we should have got even sooner because he's getting to mix it up with a top line wrestler, is Benoit, and yet um, he's got someone in there with him who can go to his speed. Whereas a very common thing, not just in WCW but in so many promotions is when you do mix the oil and the water and you bring a prospect into work with an established main eventer, the established main eventer, a lot of times in history, will work slower, safer, and be a bit more set in their ways, you could say, I suppose. Mm. Which is a challenge for the for the guy who's really hustling to raise his profile, who has a few moves and stylings that, that the, the established guys don't really bother with. It's hard for them to... To, to sink in but Savage will give Benoit everything he wants and the great thing with Benoit as well and, you know I I always thought when he was you know an active wrestler I always thought that he was the best wrestler in the in in my book um, and the thing yeah the one the, the thing with him was that he could have a good match with anyone and he could wrestle anyone's style um, and you know and we're seeing that we're seeing that here. Yeah. Because, you know, he can face Savage, he can face Sullivan, then he can face Guerrero, Ben, um, Milenko, people like that as well. <coughs> Pardon you and your corona. Bischoff referencing the over the... Oh, bloody Oh, old. man. He, I think he caught his foot on the ropes. He didn't get all of that. I mean, there, there is already a long laundry list of memorable missed suicide dives of Benoit, which obviously were all listed up when what happened in 2007 happened. But that one was one of the ugliest I've seen. Yeah. And straight away with the elbow to the back of the head. That was cool. And here comes, pardon me, here comes Flair. Accosting Elizabeth. And using her as a human shield. Hang on, what's, what's woman doing? Woman's doing something. She's coming up behind Savage. Oh! She's choking. So woman comes in choking Savage with the TV cable. Now Arn Anderson's running in as well. And they're putting the boots to Savage. And woman has clearly switched allegiance to Ric Flair and, and Elizabeth is doing her best trying to look surprised or worried by putting her hand over her mouth. And the first thought that would come to your mind is if they had this up their sleeve, the horsewoman, why wouldn't they save it until Super Bowl? But <laughs> they'll be fine, I think. Here's Hogan. Here comes Poochie with the weakest chair shots in the world, although it's probably a good thing in hindsight. Yeah, Benoit was probably pissed off that he didn't get belted across the head properly. But, um, yeah, I suppose at this point they are the weakest share shots ever because Lance Storm at Barely Legal still hasn't happened yet here in 96. <laughs> Flair is very pleased with himself. They've uh, got woman on side now. 
Yeah, you you would think that would be a silly thing to pull off before the actual title match, but mate, who knows? Then maybe they have an extra trick up their sleeve. Mm. So that was a disqualification. Yep, Savage is being carted out of the ring. Hogan is in the ring still with steel chair and Miss Elizabeth. And Mean Gene is now in the ring interviewing Hulkster and and Elizabeth. And they're facing the wrong way. <laughs> Brother count oh. is at five, including the full start to Hogan's promo. He's still got the bandages from um, the high heel shoe last week. Do you remember that? Ah, yes, of course. Oh, Flair is coming back. I like the fact that Elizabeth's doing fuck all to help here. Well, at least Flair got to throw a hand at Hogan and not have it no-sold. Because rather than chop him, he's launched a fist right at the lacerated eye. And Hogan's selling yeah. it. And it only took a high heel show. So Flair's trying to open that cut above Hogan's eye up. Here comes the giant. <laughs> Casually. <Christ>. Zodiac. <laughs> I do Hulk love. I do. I do love um, Giant just casually strolling up. And he's now picked the chair up. Elizabeth's still in the corner. I mean, I know she can't physically intervene, but she could like say, "For fuck's sake, Terry, there's a big fucker with a chair behind you." I mean, I'm paraphrasing. And the crowd who is now coming in, Savage is coming back. This is all happening. We have. This is and he's swinging the chair. This is very much like your old NWA of the 1989 sort of era TV shows, where everyone was just running in, and one person running in would would be the catalyst for someone else running in, which is also classic ECW booking in the uh, mid-90s. There's a great feud they did with various tag teams like the Bruise Brothers, the Eliminators, Public Enemy, the Gangsters, and like each team came through and was one was attacking the next, was attacking the next. Oh, and... Uh, and... Savage is now asking... Elizabeth, why didn't she warn Hogan? Exactly what I was asking. But Mean Gene has come to her rescue and said that uh, she tried. And apparently we now need a paramedic for uh, for Hulk Hogan. No one appears to be the remotest bit concerned in the audience, though, do they? Yeah, it might have had a bit of burnout with the... Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a fa- for, for wrestling TV, I'm a fan of like the overlapping angles. And if you think about it, this, this one has been a closed circuit. It's not like wave upon wave of different feuds have got involved. It is literally the Hogan Savage Alliance and the Dungeon of Doom and the Horseman. And the one thing I'd have a problem with is advertised right now because coming up is the Horseman versus the Dungeon of Doom. If you remember, we had that angle where Sullivan and Hugh Morris cheap-shotted Anderson and Pillman while they were having that summit sorting out Pillman's behaviour. But then we then have stuff later on in the show where they're getting on absolutely fine to take down Hogan and Savage. So it's a bit all over the shop. It's a bit WCW. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a short way of saying it. 
But that was interesting, that little bit where there was a bit of foreshadowing that woman might not be the only person to turn on them. Mm. Here comes Kevin Sullivan and uh, Hugh Morris with Jimmy Hart. Yep. And of course, Jimmy Hart, who was you know in the corner of Ric Flair for a fair few matches in the past month or so. That was like the that was the nexus of the alliance between the two, wasn't it? Uh, Jimmy mm. Hart feeling he he owed him a favour, so he's going to get uh, Flair the world title, and he pretty much helped him. Here's a recap of yeah. last week. This was funny. I love I love the fact that Arn took his took his own belt off and Pillman's begging off, like he was actually going to give him a good old fashioned strapping. And now they're beating the ever loving crap out of Arn Anderson. Pillman's, Pillman's pretending he's hurt. Of... <laughs> But he still got beaten anyway. But he, he he had no intention of helping Arn. No. So there are storylines, interesting storylines being woven. It's just unfortunately not the company to see it through. And at least yeah, this isn't your classic Russo style, the tag team partners that don't get along. This is something you know, it's deeper than that. It's different to that. Yeah, uh, a lot a lot of people don't seem to realise when you bring up that point that the the issue with it isn't that you can't have tag partners have issues, it's that with a Russo and other writers as well, to be honest, it it happens the same way every time in such a lame cliche manner. I'll give you a good instance. Yeah, you know when there's a Vince Russo heel turn about to happen because the friend of the babyface runs down with a chair, even if they're the sorts not to use weapons at all, will tease he hitting the bad guy with a chair and will then fake out and hit their friend instead. Every Vince Russo heel turn. And, you know, there's about 20 different ways and, and the rest, how you can actually have someone switch allegiances. Yes. While we're waiting for the match, I'll give you a quick underrated heel turn. Uh, Bradshaw, when he became JBL. Do you remember that? That was a great heel turn. No, I don't. They were the APA. They were the APA, obviously. And Paul Heyman was GM. And he had a bit of a row with the APA. And he said, if you lose your next match, you're fired. Um, and they lost the next match. And then when they confronted him and dared him to fire them... He pointed out that when he said you're fired, he was actually looking at and pointing at uh, Ron Simmons, Fruke. And he's only firing him because he sees an upside to Bradshaw with his with his stock appearances and his financial investment and all that. And, oh. and then Bradshaw just didn't back up his friend and actually did st- stick around and didn't walk out with Farouk. Just like that. Oh, okay. Great, great heel turn. Hmm. So this, this is... Early '96 or well, '96, it is it's peak Pillman. This is the loose cannon in his pomp. This is the you know this was the era. I remember at this time, people were talking about Brian Pillman an awful lot, and people were trying to work out what was real, what wasn't, and yeah, you know, this was the this was the time of the the work shoot, I guess. Mm. It, it's an it's an interesting it's part. Oh yes, massive. He's selling it well. Look on his face. But it's interesting to think at this point. This point of Pillman's story arc reminds me of, to give a recent example, if you think of uh, 
MJF at the start of AEW Dynamite when he was helping Cody Rhodes. He was hanging out yes. with Cody Rhodes and the all the, the usual baby faces. MJF was a heel, but he was Cody's friend and he t- he'd hang around and help Cody out in that respect. And you knew that the split was happening. You knew he would betray Cody. You just didn't know when exactly, but you knew and you were waiting for it to happen. And that's how you feel about Pillman with a horseman now. And believe it or not, as unpredictable as a loose cannon character is, it's the predictable element is knowing that that explosion's coming makes you keep watching to see when it happens. You don't need shocks and swerves all the time. Okay, now this is getting a bit weird because Sullivan's just not selling anything for Pillman. They've been trying to do the grizzled veteran, burly, young... Uh, upstart dynamic, which is weird when Pillman's been there for like seven years. Yeah, but um, they've just both stopped selling for each other and have tagged each other, tagged out to each their partners. And Arn Anderson looked very perplexed, a bit like when he came down to the ring in, in street clothes and um, at Super Bowl, which were just a week away from basically. Mm. We're going to have plenty of time to discuss that, aren't we? Because I'm sure we'll get some stills and some recaps. Mm. Classic Arn Anderson spinebuster. He didn't go all the way down there yeah. with him, but he, uh... he he had everything right. The scoop up, the pivot, and then he just like dropped him. Mm. Wonder if he's right, carrying Pillman's a nickel into this. Back in. Yeah. So they've singled out Hugh Morris. Oh, wow. (laughs) Pillman, he smacked him full force in the face to piss him off and then immediately tagged Arn in. (laughs) And Pillman is now lying on the floor (laughs) uh, on the apron so he can't get hit. There's so many things about this that make you want to see Pillman turn on him. Although I'd be curious if, if that ever did happen, what would be the dynamic? Because... There's not many other heel threats in WCW at this stage. The dungeon's a joke. Mm. And if they were to try and turn them face as a catalyst for Pillman splitting off, I don't know, it's like there's so there's so many interesting aspects to this, and yet it's also hard to see exactly how they would have carried it on. It's interesting because uh I think I mean, I, I just think, you know, Pillman could have become a big anti-establishment babyface, very much like, well, Steve Austin did in, in WWF. It was a similar, dy- you know, similar dynamic. It was the same time frame, the same attitude. But I think the difference, the difference there is that WWF had Steve Austin as a mid-carder who they elevated to the, the upper the upper card to the main event. We all know about the glass ceiling in WCW. Would that have ever happened to Brian Pillman in WCW? Probably not. Uh, even if they'd have tried to carry it out and did a really good job of it, I'm not even sure if it would have stuck, for, to be honest. Uh, the reason I say this is, if you think about it, Austin, you know, he, he, he was a bad man early on. He was a heel. He did nasty things, but he was always there was a certain degree of straightforwardness to it to the point where you could rally behind him. You know, he wasn't a chicken shit. He was, you know, he, he, he was a ruthless, uh, determined person. If you, if you look at it like that, 
um, in these situations we've seen with Pillman and the Horseman, you know, if this was, if, if we put this up to Reddit on the famous Reddit thread, uh, am I the arsehole? Um, I think it'd be unanimous that Pillman is the arsehole in every situation. Yeah. He's, he's the trouble starter. He's the one ducking out of fights. He's the one abandoning his friends. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine it turning babyface, but strange things Here happen. we go. We've now got Pillman and Sullivan back in again, and they are basically swinging fists at each other and not selling anything. He's now, Sullivan's now scooped Pillman up and he's hanging him upside down and runs in with a knee to the stomach. Pillman's straight back up again. Sullivan's double-legged him down. This is now breaking down. They are portraying this. The eyes. Yeah, um, this is they're portraying. I mean, we we know what you know, with hindsight, we know what was going on. But yeah, they are portraying this as as a as a shoot. Yeah, sort. Of, I was going to say they're portraying this as like the opposite of a tag team formula match. And for that reason, it's actually really got my interest, even though the fans are the fans are struggling to keep going. Oh, there's someone there with a broom. Did you? I was also one. Someone that just had a broom that stuck out from the curtain. You couldn't see who it was. I was also wondering who the small children sitting on the edge of the ramp were that clearly weren't supposed to be on camera. To be honest, I feel like if I go back and freeze frame that, we could. There was definitely a bit of a glimmer of a face. It was all too fast, but I'm curious as to... Because I don't actually remember that ever going anywhere. I don't even remember that. Referees waved it well, off. We've, we've got a DQ for some reason. Oh, because... Uh, the moonsaulter never hits. Got a, yeah, he, hit, he lands his face on his chest. I think it's because um, Sullivan's got a uh, strap, yeah. And now Pillman is getting whipped. Morse. Arn Anderson is uh, nowhere to be seen. Oh, here we go. Just we did like just take a broom to the head. <laughs> he did, indeed. I'm actually surprised he's, he's back this soon. Pillman's just uh, walking to the back, looking very unhappy, as Bischoff is telling him to take the camera off of him, which signifies uh, what we've already said. This whole... the, thing, the thing with this is that I guess it gets people talking, but does ultimately does it get any more viewers? Does it does it get any more pay per view buys? No, unless it I goes somewhere. And as we know, this didn't really go anywhere. A lot of aspects of this. The fact that we I don't remember a mystery attacker angle against Arn Anson, do you? No. Uh we know that the Pillman Sullivan Anderson thing frittered away when Pillman left so because it goes nowhere it's a great thing to get your attention but it's got to reach the crescendo um, but yeah I'll say this as far as us rating these shows I've been complaining for the last few weeks that things have been getting tired and uh, and a bit depressing and things like that that match had my attention because it did stand out and even though with retrospect yeah. we know that it should have gone somewhere and it didn't, and it ultimately ended up just being a mess. It was a, it was an interesting mess to watch, and I'll take that over what we've had the last few weeks. Yeah, and uh, by the way, it looks like the person that hit uh, Anderson with a broom was Paul Orndorff, which makes sense given the angle that wrote him out. 
That is great. I don't remember that actually going anywhere. Because if I remember correctly, the no. plan was for him to to stay as a road agent. He was, for all intents and purposes, retired from in-ring duties. Retired, and, that, yeah. and that's why they did the angle. It weren't like that storyline was building anywhere. They literally just did a quick altercation between the Horseman and Orndorff because they seemed like a good choice to put the heat on. Big Hill stable. They could be they could really do with being the guys to end the career. Yeah. Right. Just, um, I don't know if you caught that. And the, um, when they had a, a wide, a wide angle looking at the, um, the whole arena, we had two little kids. I think the same kids that were sitting on the edge of that ramp, two little kids running down the aisle and running at ringside. I have no idea what's going on now. We seem to have rogue oh. children. There is our ends. Uh, Paul Orndorff in ah. his uh, neck brace. I'm I'm hoping in the next few episodes of Nitro, I end up really having to eat humble pie and stand to be corrected. Here comes Orndorff. Okay. The funny thing about payback, you never know when it's going to happen. Mo- Mo- Mongo and Heenan were reacting as if they put two and two together. Now they're making um, sweeping broom references. Alright. I don't know. Well, how... it still went nowhere, she said. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad it at least made sense to some extent. Please, more of that. It says a lot, though, Dean, doesn't it? When your default reaction is to assume that it's gonna be an absolute nothing thing that happens for no reason, because that is WCW to a T. Guilty until proven innocent. I mean, you know, I can understand when you have you know, an angle that then someone gets injured and you have to rewrite it, or on the indies where someone then can't make the next few dates because they're booked somewhere else. But this is WCW. This is where you've got everyone under contract. They wrestle exclusively for you. So unless then someone gets in legitimately injured and can't finish the angle off, you don't really have an excuse to not see an angle through to completion. Yeah, I don't know if you've read Eric Bischoff's autobiography. It's a, it's a pretty good one. It's a very interesting read. Controversy creates cash. But he does, like a few wrestling types who've done autobiographies, there's a few obvious places where he's clearly talking out of his ass. One of them is how he bangs on about his his story writing, his storytelling principles, and how he uses things like Sasa and, and really believes in the beginning, middle, and end. And you watch old WCW and realise, yeah, he followed no such fucking principles. Talk's a big game, but when it comes to seeing through storylines, there was a lot of times he he wandered off attention-wise in the middle of it, or more more specifically, got a creative control out of it. Yes. Who was driving the Hummer? So here we go. It's Flairby Bagwell, and um, we have we've started off as your typical Flair match. He's in, got Bagwell in the corner, punching him and chopping him. Holy cow, Dean, I just realised something by you referencing the Hummer angle. Who was driving the Hummer was actually a uh, a postmodern uh, allusion to the real-life situation of who was driving the WCW operations. 
<laughs> That's what it was. Flair gets Flair clotheslined over the top rope. I've just realised Flair is wearing red, and we know what that generally means. But I think when you're wrestling Marcus Alexander Bagwell, you pretty much know what the result's going to be. Oh, clothesline right in front of the front row fans and their standard issue Hulk Hogan merchandise. That they've just put on over the top of their regular gear. Yeah, yeah there, there, there are people who are just extremely casually dressed. They don't, they don't react like fans who would go out and buy merchandise and they've got like a Hulk Hogan bandana on top of their like Fruit of the Loom fleece and things like that. It's like, you did not buy that, dude. <laughs> Bagwell with lefts and rights now the camera's on the right angle so he can't see that he's missing by a mile did you, did you see that by Flair he, he tried to fight the Flair flop by just dropping to a knee got back up and Flair flopped anyway nice yes. touch And also, it's interesting now to watch how Bagwell is slowly but surely evolving into the buff Bagwell character, just from his his look. He's starting to grow the beards and the hair's changing a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely starting to evolve. Um, One thing I also notice is this is off to a good start, this match. Basically, when it comes to Ric Flair, if you can bring babyface fire, Ric Flair will take care of everything else. And that has been shown here, Mm. isn't it? Yeah. Well, this is a thing you've got to remember with Ric Flair. And the reason behind the the Flair formula as such is that, you know, he would go, when he was the, the NWA t- world champion, touring all over the country, all over you know, other territories and Puerto Rico and New Zealand and places like that. A lot of the time, if you listen to any um, interviews with him, a lot of the time he will talk about how he would go to a local territory um, and would defend the belt against the local the local champion, who was sometimes the promoter, who was often, if they were the promoter, were not a very good wrestler. And so basically Ric Flair had to carry them to a match and he, he would probably arrive you know, only a very short time before the match and he'd leave quickly afterwards and he'd never met the guy before. So it made sense to have a match of pattern that, that worked around what he did that he called. And, and as you say, if you had a baby face with fire, he could bring the rest of the, the equation. Yeah. Basically you bring the baby face fire, you know, those basic baby face uh, spots Listen to everything Ric Flair's whispering into your ear and you're going to get a four-star plus match to your name on the house. That's why they called it the broomstick formula, wasn't it? Yeah. And I have seen some wrestlers compete where a broomstick would probably do better babyface fire. (laughs) I've seen people where the uh, the intention is there, but the ability is not, should we mm. say. Well, that's why wrestling needs more Ric Flairs, because it's good to have someone who can slot into that. Mm. More lefts and rights from Bagwell. Yeah. Ba- and ba- uh, Bag... You go. I was just going to say, he's, you know, he's coming at Flair with sprints. He's throwing a lot of punches. Really simple things that are popping the crowd every time. 
and it is very back and forth. You know, Bagwell gets a big move in, Flair cuts him off, Flair then gets cut off by Bagwell. It's it's back and forth. Those clotheslines of Bagwell's are terrible, though. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. He he actually throws a decent right hand, and he's he, he, and then he tries to do something a bit more technical, and it. This is this is why some wrestlers do a punch kick formula. You know, you done done right. There's nothing wrong with it. It's being over reliant on it, or or just trying to leave out everything else in a match that makes it bad. But there's a reason why certain wrestlers uh, lead with a lot of punches because you know you you got that intensity behind it. You have the crowd there. Why not? I mean, yeah, never been big superplex from Bagwell. Two and a half. And it's interesting because Flair timed that perfectly to just, you know, just kick out in the right time. But you look at the crowd, no one for a moment is believing that Bagwell has got a prayer of winning. Mm. Big pops for the moves, nothing for the near falls. You're right. Oh, that would have been a a slingshot splash hits knees. At least we're seeing a little... Similar to how Randy Savage can have Savage Formula matches, but then he also has maybe Formula Plus, like with Benoit, where he does, he puts a little extra effort into it and he takes a few moves he wouldn't normally. Flair's given that to Bagwell here. It's been a good TV match, but here's the figure for it. may be over. When was the last time you saw Flair win with the figure four, though? Uh, he used to do it a lot with the where it would be a pinfall and they. And he's won. That was kind of the thing there, where it was essentially a figure four pinfall finish, but he didn't count his shoulders down. But when Bagwell's shoulders went down, he called for the bell. You might as well just slap the mat three times. Yeah, and Flair has now smacked the referee, and he's refusing to let let the figure four go until Savage comes running down the aisle, and Flair goes tearing up the aisle away, and... The chase is on. And, well, you want babyface fire. No one does that better than the Macho Man. Mm. I'll tell you what, though. We will review one day. We will review Great American Bash 95. My favourite Flair Savage main event. Hey, I mean, you want it soon, Dean. We'll fast track it because last I checked, you are are half the owners of (laughs) Big Lestos, don't you? (laughs) You should pull rank. Guest or no guest, we'll do that. And if you know anyone who would uh, would fancy it, and if a listeners know anyone who'd fancy doing Great American Bash 95, then we are all ears. I'll say one thing, though, as I show you replays this match. I enjoyed this match. I've already established that. But it also gave me flashbacks. to We, we referenced about how Benoit and Flair could have had a feud in 99. I mentioned that earlier. One thing that nearly happened in 99 when they flirted with the idea of a new Blood Millionaires Club a year before they actually did it was Flair Sting. I don't know if you remember that, Dean. But Flair even lost by pinfall to Bagwell in an eight-man tag when he was the president and he was drunk with power. That sort of thing they did in the spring of 99. But yeah, they they were flirting with that. And that that would... even then was babyface Bagwell heel flair. Uh, yeah. And that would have been a serious program, but it never happened. That will get discussed in depth when the time is right as well. Yeah. Okay. Now this is, so it's time for our main event. It's the road, road warriors against Sting and Luger for the tag titles. And this is something that, that I don't get. 
This is their second week in the promotion. They made their debuts or their re-debuts, whatever you want to call it, last week. And this week, they're getting a world title shot. It's like, well, where do you go from there? Because you either put the belts on them and then they're the champions and they've got nowhere else to elevate to. From what I remember... yeah. Uh, from what I remember, there is somewhere they can go with it, and we covered that sort of when we did Uncensored. Check our archives, guys. That was that was a good recap we did with uh, Paul Benson. Oh, uh, yes, I do remember. The that. match itself was dull as fuck, but the storyline build for it was sound, admittedly. So we will get there on that. I will say that much. The mat, I remember now, yes, that match did drag somewhat. It was about half an hour long. Yeah, so there is somewhere for the go. If you're asking whether or not it makes storyline sense, to be honest, not 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 to say it's a, a great thing necessarily, but you know, Road Warriors have tenure, former world champions, reputation precedes themselves. They're always going to be perceived as top team the minute they walk back in. And you'll remember they actually confronted Stinger Luger and challenged them verbally, Will you give us a title shot? And they did the thing where Sting was keen and Luger was trying to politely talk around it, which was which I found oh, amusing yes. as well. So yeah, they, they they challenged Sting based on their name value and the fact that they they're perceivably friends with Sting, albeit competitive rivals. And they asked and they received. So that's that's your act one. Because you can have a title shot as an act one, then build to a rematch where the storyline has has completely shifted. Come act three. You can run a lot of stories that start and finish with the same match, where but the but the the dynamic of the match has, has shifted in the interim. Fair enough, yeah. Here we go. Then the crowd are into this. The front row are adorned in their Hogan merch. I think Luger feels left out not having his face painted up. <laughs> He used up his annual face paint quota at War Games, and mm. he would he would not call upon it again until <laughs> War Games '96. Basically, if it's a War Games match, Luger will put face paint on. <laughs> the Sting and Adam were definitely. Oh, go on, sorry. I was going to say, we're just establishing already that um, the Road Warriors have the power advantage over mm. Sting. Whether they will do so against Luger remains to be seen, but that's the uh, we've established that early on in this match. Mm. Well, that's the thing. Because they're so well established, they've got a lot to work with. So you'd imagine they could work into their their well-established traits and not have to do a lot to get good reactions. Um, it's also good, I was going to say, it's also good that Sting and Animal are starting because... <laughs> They're definitely the two most useful of of their respective teams. Well, Animal was the one that had the back problems and uh, the the insurance policy and stuff. It's worth remembering. But clearly recovered enough to uh, wrestle again. Also worth noting that uh, Sting clearly has uh, lockdown hair. <laughs> he hasn't. Hasn't gone to the gym, hasn't gone to the uh, barbers for a while. It's a good thing this is not a video chat, otherwise you'd realise that when it comes to me, Sting also has lockdown face paint. 
But what I do in the so, comfort of my own house is none of your business. Exactly. It's not doing anyone any harm. <laughs> um, so Luger, Pyle drove Hawk. Hawk just no-sold it as he did. Why do wrestlers pole drive Hawk when they know what's going to happen? Like it's like headbutting a Samoan. Why do they powerbomb Kidman? Why do wrestlers do these things? Why do wrestlers make the cover when they know the referee's down? Yeah, exactly. Oh, Sting a splash. Yeah. I liked how He's Hulk going took for the that. Scorpion. Hulk kind of came out of the corner like he was going to try and rally or even escape, but got caught with it, and it looked more impressive when he got squished between Sting and the turnbuckle. I like that. L- mm. Little tiny thing. Yeah, and then Sting went for the Scorpion. Animal made the save. Went back to his corner. Hawk was able to tag out and get the hell out of Dodge before he got into any more trouble. Oh. Luger with something that could be interpreted as good teamwork or heel douchebaggery by low bridging animal. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? Do, do you say... Shitbaggery, yeah. Yeah, shithousery, douchebaggery, whichever one you shit want. Shithousery. Shithousery. Shithousery, that yeah. is it. Within within a competitive match, you just say, right, that's a bit of shithousery, but it doesn't make him a horrible person. But it is also very much on par with the fact that he is a heel. I love that. Yeah. That was a great... I'm, I'm, I was dreading this match, but they're off to a great start. But if it goes long, they're going to be knackered. <laughs> Um, it could be argued, going to what you're saying about Sting's lockdown here, in some people's cases, it's Hawk who has lockdown here, or Animal. I've not seen any Lugers, though. No mullets. No. But yeah, I've seen I've seen a few people definitely like shaving their heads at the moment. Mm. Well, I generally go not, for a number two Not doing the uh, Mohawk. Yeah, I, I, I go to a barber's and get a very professionally done tool over with all the you know the flame here and the hot towels and the pampering and the and the conversation with people uh oh, there's a massive jump on the show yeah there. this is um the, i read up about this this was the show where the uh, the lights went out for several minutes ah um and you can see actually the lighting is dimmer than it was before slightly so wwe have done their own like post-production jump with their yeah, own disclaimer. Just, yeah, Bischoff's just saying that the, the lights went out. But yeah, as I was saying, I I, I, just, I just get like a number two, but uh, in light of this, I borrowed a barber set from our next door neighbours, social distancing observed in the handover, obviously, and, um, and I did a number one all over, which is now growing out to a number two. Fair enough. So, um, what I don't get with this is that apparently we had a good few minutes of um, time removed because the, the lights went out, but this is still going 55 minutes, this show. So God knows how long it would have been without that. 
that we're back. We've we've had we're back with uh, Sting and Animal at the moment. Is this going to be a thing where we were actually quite digging this match before the lights went out, and then everything after the lights went out is just going to be like, look look how tired and sweaty all for me. It's just going to be like <laughs> half speed, gassed out, knackered, tedious shit, isn't it? Yeah. The lights are going to go out on the quality of the match. Also, it's worth noting that um, we we don't get it on this version, but um, the, on the live version, apparently uh, Bischoff insinuated that the WWF had turned the lights out on them. <laughs> well, if you think it's out of order that they're being that petty, I'll point out just how the WWE Network disclaimer made sure to mention that the problem was with the original presentation. You know, because the perfect <laughs> WWE would not make a, a botch like WCW have right there. Yeah, WWE never had the lights go out. Jimmy Hart! On a pay-per-view or anything. <laughs> Is that a massive... Luger's got a lead plate. Was that like right from... the kidneys. Is that from a set of weights or something? They they apparently said it's a lead plate they use to keep the doors open. So it's like a just you know mm. rather than a little rubber door stop, it's a massive fuck off lead nice. one. But animal has been pinned after being smashed in the back with a lead plate basically. Sting didn't see what happened, but he saw Jimmy Hart, and he's yeah, he's not over the moon about winning. No, he's asking what happened. Because I think he didn't see what happened, but he saw Jimmy Hart come, like, as he was leaving. I think Hart's gone now. Yes. And uh, also, um, Heenan said, keep your mouth shut and run home with the money. Yeah. Sound advice. Mean jeans in. So, Gene is in the ring, and Hulk. So, Sting, right. So we've got the pay per view. We've got Sting and Luger and that stinking Harlem Heat, according to uh, the Road Warriors, who, as that, far as I know, have never had uh, any kind of uh, interaction with Harlem Heat before. That didn't sound racist at all, did it, Dane? Not at all. Nobody can beat the Road Warriors fair and square. Yeah, they they, they made sure of that in the booking, didn't they? Yeah. They refused to lose clean, even when they were massively yeah. over the hill, which would be now, by the way. It would be now, yes. She cut above his eye as well, Animal. Is that a cut? I've I've got to say that that mercifully ended before it could really outstay its welcome, but but yeah, those four were really flagging at the end of that. I loved the start well, of the match. Yeah, the the before and after the lights went out was a massive difference. It was it was good that after the lights went out wasn't that long, and may, maybe there's also the fact that the blackout trimmed it as well. But they were they were all shattered come the end of that. Definitely. I'll say this so, though, Dean. Um, I enjoyed that shot. I've got to say, I enjoyed that. The matchups were fresh again. Yep. That is the Nitro we've come to enjoy. 
That is what yeah. we've appreciated about early Nitro. They're back to that formula. And, you know, Hulk Hogan got to run around as much as he wanted. Multiple appearances, all the main eventers, all the boxes ticked. But they did it in a fresh and dynamic way. That's all we ask for the TV show. Yeah, and we are... Um, I'm just trying to find it. We're... we're... We are leading up now to Super Bowl Six, which happens that the Sunday after this show, and that's so uh, we've got as we said, Sting and Luger v Harlem Heat. Um, you'll be surprised to learn that Johnny B. Bad and Diamond Dallas Page are fighting each other for the world television title. We've got the Brian Pillman and uh, Kevin Sullivan respect strap match, um, and Flair v. Flair v Savage. And Hogan v Giant, both in steel cages, are our main events for that. So, so that you know everything, everything in there is is kind of led led into that. Mm. It all makes it all makes sense. It's it's not like the big go home shows that you get these days, but it's all like leading nicely to to that that big pay per view. I was actually gonna say, Dean, uh, as far as a hard sell goes, that wasn't massively hard it was a it was a little bit semi-erect but um <laughs> but yeah the, the the main notes were hit you know what the big matches are on the pay-per-view the, the advertisements between segments were selling the double cage thing hard fair play there was no mention that you, you you could tell that they were building to a strap match uh two weeks of using a belt uh with sullivan and that but um even then, you, you'd say like, oh yeah, well, look, they're going to do a strap match when they have their pay-per-view match in a couple of months. No, 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 that's it. That's the build. We are here now. So I've heard no mention of the respect stipulate, etc., etc. So especially considering how weird that ends, I'm sure we'll talk about that plenty next week when we're after Super Bowl and that's in the rearview mirror. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite weird that they didn't push a little harder, but you could say that would come more in time as you alluded to it was a thing that built up with companies but i have to say from what yeah. i remember those w even then they could and should have done a better job a lot of the time yeah they they had the um the main event show that was the like the freebie show an hour beforehand live from the venue and that was the kind of the hard sell then but uh but yeah but yeah definitely i think you're right that that was a that was a an easy thumbs up. We had some fresh matches, which is what we want. Um, and, and it, yeah, it just made a, it, it, we weren't groaning as we have been in previous weeks. Um, it was, it felt, it felt good. It felt fresh. Yeah. They, they had the major thing with woman turning nice little foreshadow of Elizabeth that comes six days later. Uh, the whole brawling between the horseman and Hulk Savage, you, you know, there, there are places you can see those sort of things done better, but I thought it was pretty good. And it was a, it was out of Hogan's comfort zone, which is all you can ask for at this, this juncture that he, that he stretches out his comfort zone a little. Um, love the dynamic with Sting and Luger again. The thankfully the main event didn't outstay its welcome, which it was very close to doing. But as a result, I'll have a fond memory of that match. Yeah, Bagwell looking great Ooh. against Flair, Benoit looking great against Savage. That was that was a great episode. 
Yeah. So um, next week, post um, post Super Bowl, we have. It's interesting actually because though when I was just talking about the dark matches, one of the dark matches, Johnny Bad and Diamond Dallas Page, that's on the pay per view. Another dark match is on next week's broadcast: Conan against Devon Storm. Um, and that'll be interesting because you know we've saw we saw Devon Storm as Crowbar on. The, 2000 pay-per-view that we reviewed just recently with Justin Henry. This is him under his previous incarnation of Devon Storm. And I, I'd completely forgotten that he was in WCW as Devon Storm briefly. Um, we've also got uh, Randy Savage against Hugh Morris. And what are the odds that that follows the Savage formula? Something that I'm strangely looking forward to is the Nitro debut of Loch Ness, better known to British fans as Giant Haystacks, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that. And then our main event is Hulk Hogan taking on Arn Anderson. So um, anything could happen there. So, yeah, it looks, looks like, a, although not, not quite, um, not quite the, the varied matchups that we've had before, but still looking, looking promising there. Yeah, I'll say this, Dean. We've got some. We're working on some nice things coming up. We've even got one or two ideas for new type of episode concepts to go along with the Nitro watch-alongs, the pay-per-view specials, the the odd exclusive interview we have the pleasure of getting. But as far as this goes, whatever happens, I'm looking forward to the next watch-along, and I hope it doesn't take too long. I'm I'm up for it. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Yes, um, if if you do uh, want to get a hold of us on social media, give us you know, any thoughts, suggestions, ideas. We are all ears. You can get us on Twitter at becausewcw or facebook.com forward slash becausewcw. So in the meantime, on behalf of my co-host Liam Hatton, this is me, the Twisted Genius Dean. I say thank you so much for downloading. Let's go back over the back catalogue. There's another 55 of these in the bag. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you ringside.